0: Hello from your favorite grasslands PR team. This week, we're back with another reason why these overlooked and underappreciated ecosystems are objectively the best biome. I'm Nicole. And I'm Rachel.
1: And I'm a guest.
0: What's your name, guest?
1: Uh, My name's Alan.
0: Oh, wow. Alan. (laughs) Alan is uh, an old friend of uh, us, a friend of the podcast, biologist, wildlife person, educator, nerd. nerd yep uh plays an exquisite uh strad von zarovich in our D campaign <laughs> it's whatever. true thank you, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's true. yeah um yeah so uh <laughs> happy to have you here
1: <laughs> i'm really thrilled to be here
0: um yeah it it is the best kind of guest work in my opinion i'm not the guest so it's like Ugh, this sucks but if i had to be a guest on something i'd want to be like yes just I just want to be there. Yes.
1: Yeah. Oh no. Well, I like to learn about a thing, and I think I'm about to. So
0: Pro- probably. Hopefully, you learn at least one new thing. I don't know if that's possible. But uh, full disclosure, uh, we did attempt to record this uh, at least one other time. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. We tried to record it once before. <laughs> only only actually saved three minutes of it. So um, we are on our second attempt at recording this episode today. And uh I'm going to I'm going to do my best to keep it fresh, but you know, we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I I promise you I legitimately forgot 95% of the things I learned in the first recording. So this is going to be a brand new topic for me.
0: Awesome. Do you remember bird streamers? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Goddamn. Okay. I do, but I am not going to spoil it for the dear listener.
0: Okay. Yes. Okay. Maybe we can just describe our thought process. Anyway, it is my turn for an episode. Uh, we are kicking off a brand new season of The Best Biome, uh, where we're excited to have more guests like our dear friend Alan on uh, the podcast with us. Um, I guess we do have some uh, news like that's semi-big in the wildlife world, which is the Recovering America's Wildlife Act. Um as we've probably mentioned before, multiple iterations have been attempted to pass, mm-hmm. but uh it did just make it out of the uh house committee that it was on, so it was uh it uh I don't remember the numbers twenty nine to seventeen or something good like that. I don't know anyway uh the important thing to note here is that it is making progress, which is not always the case (laughs) not only for bills like this but for this specific bill and its previous iterations so uh yeah go recovering uh very nice hopefully we see some good progress on that
1: who would vote against that 17 people
0: 17 people all right that's fine now um yeah (laughs) i was gonna gonna launch into a discussion about why people might oppose that but it's probably not even worth because i mean there have been concerns brought up and they've been addressed and that's why it's pass now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Anyway. Um so my episode we are going to uh be talking about a bird because I mean how else would I launch a another wow, I can't do words anymore. Why else what <laughs> you got this? What else would you expect of me kicking off another season? It's going to be a bird. Um it is by some accounts the worst bird. <laughs> 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 um but it's I'm objectively here objectively not
1: the worst it, bird. It is
0: objectively not the worst bird. And I'm here to make an argument for why that is a, a false statement. Yes. So everybody, especially Australians who have said that before about this poor <laughs> bird, you are incorrect. Mm. Um yeah, we're talking about a grassland Ibis. Bow, 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 bow. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the Ibis. Renowned bird of water. <laughs> It is. That's that's what
1: I always call it. <laughs>
0: um and trash cans. <laughs> and, and trash cans. Trash cans, garbage islands, mm-hmm. uh ruining picnics, going on ventures, um depending on where you live, possibly also sacred. Um
1: It is.
0: It is. Alan taught me that uh the etymology of its family name is Sacred bird. Sacred bird.
1: Thres, thres-, thres- Thresky. Wait. Threskyornis. Yes, Threskyornis. D. Yeah. Yes. Sacred Something bird. like
2: that. One of those <laughs> is yeah. right.
1: I think that's. I think that's because of like, primarily because of its like Egyptian connection, like the okay. ancient Egyptian significance, because yeah. they, they found like, I would think like thousands of like mummified ibises mm. in. Oh yeah. Archaeological sites.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think. Um, it was probably also a symbol of, like, one of their most powerful and revered uh, goddesses. Thoth. Oh, it was Thoth. 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 Isn't that, like, the god of death? Or am I thinking of than- I'm thinking oh. about, okay. Thanos? <laughs> <laughs> i thinking about Thanos? I think I might have actually been. You know what? Uh, my etymology is a little bit rusty, so uh, that's I on think, me.
1: I think Thoth, uh, I think, was involved in the death thing. I think uh, I think he was involved with like the weighing of the heart part of that whole thing, which had to be lighter no, than was, the feather.
0: Uh, in the beginning, it was Myat, and then it was Anubis. I just, like last night, went on a weird <laughs> Egyptian religious mythology kick and oh, watched dang, probably right. two hours of the videos about it. And I'm oh, really shoot. mad that I don't know who Thoth is. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
2: um,
0: according to Britannica.com, um, Thoth is the god of the moon of reckoning, of learning, and of writing. Cool. Fascinating. Held to be the inventor of writing, the creator of languages. So nice. feather. Feather. Quill. 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 Quill.
1: It's all coming around,
0: you know. Anyway, let's move nothing, on about from... death, <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing
1: about death though. Nothing about. Alright, maybe. Unless I'm wrong. maybe
0: I'm wrong. Unless you think of the extinguishing of writing as the death of thoughts, Whoa. forever lost to time. But isn't it preserving thoughts? That's true. I, if if the writing is lost, oh, okay. you know what I mean. That's what I'm, uh, anyway, okay. Ooh. I'm reading a book right now about the Library of Alexandria. So <clears throat>
1: dang, okay.
0: We got way off topic here. I am very sorry to editing Nicole for this. <laughs> Ibises. Ibises. Yeah, we're going to be looking at a grassland ibis. So, um, Nicole. What? I'm scared. <laughs> Describe an ibis. <sighs> um, Alan had to do this the first time. I know. It is your responsibility right now to come up with the magic words. I know. I'm trying to remember his magic words so I can cheat. Um, (laughs) Why think of your own words when you can just cheat? Like, come on. Uh, Something about like a down curved bill and it's really long and they're like skinny. They got big, long legs. They're not very elegant, if I'm being honest. Um, you know, I've actually had no. They're, they're, a, goofy they're yeah. a goofy bird. They're a bird. Yeah, they look pretty funny. I don't. I think the first time I saw an ibis up close, like a dead, like specimen ibis, mm-hmm. I was kind of shocked at how naked its face is. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. They got big old bald patches. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I've always thought they were pretty ele- elegant until I was exposed to negative propaganda out of Australia <laughs> about the ibis. um for...
1: One piece of. Propaganda in particular. Yeah, but yeah. like,
0: you know, it's probably just tapping into a full culture of yeah. people mm-hmm. who really don't like ibises for, for sure. potentially valid reasons. Yeah. Um, but uh, this ibis is all of the things Nicole said. <laughs> Long-legged. Um, ugly in that beautiful ibis sort of way, um, but also very distinctive. It's not the only ibis where it lives, which is in South America. Uh, it is called the buff-necked ibis and um, um Alan Yes? Please uh, consult the notes of the picture of the ibis I sent you
1: Okay, I will consult like two days ago <laughs> I'm on it. It was actually yesterday
0: there's no way yeah (laughs) that was not yesterday Uh, yep it sure was
1: yeah no this is a this is a good bird
0: okay any other (laughs) thoughts on on its appearance (laughs) for this audio medium that we are currently engaging uh
1: yes okay so i'll paint you a word picture it is as we said goofy long-legged long-necked it is kind of um Gosh, it's hard to say like describe exactly what bird it resembles, but it does have an enormous like downward pointing or decurved bill. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then um it's got like this cool little, I don't know, it's got like a little hairdo. It's got like a little <laughs> slicked back like patch of like kind of rusty feathers on its head.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, although I would point out to our listeners it's not like, you know, display feathers. It's just a pattern of color he's describing. He right, doesn't right, have right. like an actual cool hairdo.
1: No, for sure. Um, I think, okay, so you, I think we, uh, when we first talked about this bird, you had mentioned it has a different common name in Brazil, mm-hmm. which is the Caraca?
0: Curicaca.
1: Curicaca. Okay. And that is, what does that mean? We looked it up.
0: Gold rock. Okay. <laughs> Which um,
1: I sure. don't know that I'm getting that from this bird.
0: <laughs> okay, but look at its head. So, like, its the head, yes. The most maybe. noteworthy thing I think about this bird is that it's got like a very buffy neck, which is yeah, what it's named for, in for sure. It's common English name. Um, but it's really light, which is noticeable from a distance. Honestly, bird nerds out there, it kind of reminds me of like a fulvous whistling duck. Or a plumed whistling duck with its like pink legs and its gray wings and stuff. Um, But yeah, because of that light neck, it is really noticeable from a distance. And um, like Alan mentioned, um, where it lives, uh, at least in the Brazilian part of its range, it has... Another name, uh, the curicaca. And it does live uh, in savannah ranch land and open forests of a lot of countries in South America. Uh, Brazil, Colombia, Venezuela, Paraguay, Argentina, and Uruguay. Um, So it's basically across that entire range seen poking through the various llanos and campos of those regions. Uh, It is a bold bird. It is... (laughs) A beloved bird, farmers love them. It's the curicaca, aka the buff-necked ibis. It has other other colloquial names too, um, but they're all just like variations on buff-necked ibis. So they're not really like fun.
1: It's very interesting to hear that this is such a beloved bird. Yeah, like just because I don't know. In most, like in a lot of places where people live next to, say, uh, large noisy (laughs) colony nesting birds (laughs) they're not super thrilled about them yeah i've
0: (laughs) had conversations with um poor uh citizens of wichita kansas here who are rightfully outraged at the mess of colonized yeah colony nesting birds in their neighborhoods and Mm. stuff so uh yeah it is interesting Hmm. um yes i love when like people hate like the herons and egrets and legally you can't cut down the trees when they're there but as soon as they leave they just clear cut this that whole is, yeah, place and they're out. like ha, ha. but then they just nest somewhere else so yeah <laughs> somebody else's problem yeah on mm. ah, nature <laughs> <laughs> um well uh the buff necked ibis is nobody's problem Mm, asterisk on that. Yeah, um, <laughs> um, it is loved by everyone universally, and uh, that is not an exaggeration. Every uh, not asterisk. a single person asterisk um, <laughs> dislikes these birds. Um, in fact, it is so beloved. I have a beautiful poem <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> written by uh, Eulalia Marturano Camargo about the buff-necked ibis. Um, it is written in Portuguese, and I googled translated it to English, which means it lost all sense of poeticness. (laughs) It it is, I'm sure, much more beautiful sounding in its native Portuguese. So I'm so sorry, Lalia, for this um, travesty that's about to happen. But I still think it gets the spirit Mm -hmm. of the poem across and it made me giggle. It still makes me giggle. So we're going to read a poem about the Curicaca. Beautiful. In Google Translated English. <laughs> <laughs> Racket makes curriculum in the morning. You're happy singing. Wake up everyone. Strange bird. Exotic bird. But nice. It's curriculum.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> bird walking. Leave at dawn. Only return at dusk. Very excited. <laughs> I don't know if the pine would be funny without the kurīkaka. Oh, sing kurīkaka sing. I want to wake up every morning with your singing. So obviously everybody wants to know at this point what the beautiful singing of the kurīkaka sounds like. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. yeah, so here here is a um, recording of its beautiful song.
1: Yep. That's beautiful.
0: Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it
1: is distinct.
0: Um, Yeah. That's the nicest thing you can say about it. I mean, it is distinct.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, like, even the person that just... I mean, you know, Eulalia, who wrote mm. this beautiful poem,
0: yeah.
1: um, you know, extolling the virtues of uh, the Kurakaka still mm-hmm. said it makes a racket. Yes. Yeah. So it's not like, you know...
0: Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> they call the singing happy and funny and they're like you leave at dawn and you return at dusk and you're very excited when you return at dusk and mm-hmm. you're still singing and i just it makes me happy
2: mm-hmm.
0: um so uh anyway uh if you hadn't guessed the name kurikaka is onomatopoeic it's uh one of those names that's kind of describing the sound the bird makes so it's kind of going kurikaka like whatever so yeah. that's you know where that name comes from and uh according to wiki aves which is uh, basically the brazilian e-bird it is a song composed of loud screams <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's the only description <laughs> yeah. and uh this bird is also in the pontanal uh, referred to as alarm clock very nice yeah
1: love me a bird that screams <laughs>
0: it's just <like> that's the... <laughs> honestly that's the energy that i want to wake up with yeah every morning. exactly <laughs> <laughs> oh man um yeah so absolutely delightful uh so kind of like the poem alluded to uh the buff necked ibis has a little bit of a routine during its day uh it overall is pretty sedentary it doesn't migrate or anything so it kind of has like its home range for the most part i mean everything moves around a little bit like if your tree gets cut down you're gonna find somewhere else to live (laughs) or if there's just too many birds around you're gonna go somewhere else Um, but they don't really migrate and everywhere that we have at one time thought they were migratory or vagrant or something um we just hadn't seen the nests yet and so they were revealed to be just uh staying in the region after all um, so, yeah, uh, oh, I just hiccuped You leaned forward with um, such poise that I thought for sure you had something cool to say. No. <laughs> okay. I'm just thinking about poop again because <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's an I'm onomatopoeia. Okay, okay. I also keep thinking about the kagaros from uh, the Azores, the shearwater. The kagaros? What yeah. kind of bird is that? It's a Cory's shearwater, but bird names <gasps> for birds. Um, and I love them. And they make dumb, like, laughing noises.
1: I love them so much. I also like birds that
0: laugh. I also like birds that laugh. Any bird that's just, like, really out there, just acting like an idiot, Mm -hmm. being loud and obnoxious, I kind (laughs) of love it, Mm -hmm. honestly. So during the day, they have, like, a little bit of a routine. So they are, like Alan alluded to, colony nesters. They also roost together in groups, like, larger groups. And uh, they will have a roosting spot. wake up in the morning, wake everybody else up too, (laughs) with their loud screaming, and uh, then eventually take off, uh, leave whatever their roost is, whether it is a lone tree out in a savanna, whether it's um, an electric pole, whether it's uh, a forest or like some other habitat. Every day they will get up from that place and fly out into the open landscape uh that surrounds them and uh disperse to be active all day um hmm. and then eventually at night they all slowly begin to return trickling in kind of like um i guess crows or something like that would be a good analogy for that sort of like roosting behavior that's right. something people would see a lot like around here mm-hmm. except way fewer of them and not nearly as small. So uh, yeah, they would fly back into their roost and uh, get ready for bed by also screaming. So, you know, really you can just base your entire day on Mm -hmm. this bird if you're on like a farm out in the Cejado or something. Very cool. Which is delightful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's uh, talk about their ecology, which is what (laughs) I think is the fun part. Um, so these guys do live alongside a lot of other ibises in South America, which are, like, pretty standard ibises. Not gonna lie, didn't do a ton of research on them. So how do you know they're standard? Well, because when they were in other studies that i did read uh like this venezuelan study in the 90s that was like a study of all ibises in venezuela um they compared them all and it's like whoa all these other ibises are doing ibis things and what is happening with the buff necked ibis <laughs> <laughs> um uh so yeah co- compared to the other ibises they tend to forage in dry land furthest from water Whereas everybody else, at the very least, will choose soils that are wet if they're leaving water at all. Um, More often, they're hanging out in flooded meadows and places like that uh, or foraging along water. So that is a strange thing for an ibis. For
1: Um, sure, yeah. So so they not only, I mean, they preferentially look for really dry places. Like they don't, they just, they're like water averse, like they're just not a fan of, that's interesting.
0: No, yeah, they just like straight up don't hang out in those locations. In fact, um, in, in that Venezuelan study, the buff necked ibis didn't even use the wet meadows that other ibises regularly use even in the absence of other species. So it's not even just that like they're trying to avoid places with lots of other ibises because even when there's no competition, they're still like, ah, screw that wet meadow. I'd rather be out <laughs> in this like stubbly burnt field instead Ooh, or yeah. like walking through these tall grasses and stuff. Sure. Yeah. So preferentially dry land. Um, they also like feasting in burned stubbly fields. Uh, that was not just an offhand reference. Uh, mm-hmm. That is a thing that they like. Um, even to the point where uh, in this study they kind of wondered if their number estimations for populations was off because when they were surveying for ibises they were not checking burnt up fields <laughs> with stubbly uh stubble in them you right. know mm-hmm. like yeah. that's just not where they would expect to find them so they no, weren't sure. looking for those habitats yeah um so yeah who doesn't like a nice burnt field though Oh, crispy. Mm. Mmm. Smells good. It does smell good. Smells
1: good. And plenty. plenty, Fun to walk on.
0: Yes. Fun to walk on. Um, Plenty of birds love burnt fields. So not surprising to us grassland groupies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They also tend to feed in smaller flocks, which is different from other ibises too. So uh, they will be in single species flocks. I guess not surprising if you're the only ibises that like the type of habitat you're in. Um, But they might even just be in their family groups hanging out uh, foraging for food. They also appear to be active at literally all hours of the day,
2: Hmm.
0: which is unusual for most birds. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like... All birders can relate to this, uh, and especially people who do science. Uh, There is a certain window (laughs) of hours where where you want to go out to find birds. And after that, most self-respecting birds are taking a nap, except for maybe brown thrashers and buff-necked ibises. Right. (laughs) Yes.
1: The dawn chorus. Mm
0: -hmm. The dawn chorus indeed. Yeah. Um, But these guys are out all day. That's just what they do. Uh, Also, they aren't very aggressive with each other, which I think is adorable they are friendly happy birds uh compare with other species where they wrote like in this uh study very detailed descriptions of the types of squabbles they would get into both with their own species and with other species in these (laughs) mixed flocks so like ibises can be total jerks Mm -hmm. not all of them but some of them are buff necked ibises not in the jerk category Aw, i know how nice ah it's great (laughs) uh and as far as when they are out foraging um we keep referencing their long curvy beak they use that to poke in the ground <laughs> and catch bugs nice it's
1: a good use for it
0: mm-hmm. it's a good use for it um here is a nice little tiny quote from um this study <clears throat> that also described one of my favorite things about them um <clears throat> buff necked ibises had by far the highest stepping and lowest probing rates of any species.
1: Highest stepping, lowest probing. Correct. So are they so they're like a visual predator? Totally. That's So they're again. like they're like like stalking high steppies.
0: High steppies.
1: And then like it's like using the peepers to lock yeah. on to <laughs> yeah, it's... the most tastiest bugs possible.
0: Mm-hmm now that you mentioned that uh it does make their hunting sound a lot more deliberate <laughs> than maybe some other birds like yeah. they're they're like they're not having to probe as much because they're going after whatever they're going after yeah uh, versus uh, yeah like sandpipers just like like in a line constant. a lot of them are like feeling with their beaks too but yeah maybe they're more visual um also can we just like take a moment to appreciate they have like an entire table of uh uh, analyzing the stepping and probing rates of various ibis species so like somebody's job (laughs) for a period of time was to quantify the the stepping and the probing of various ibises nice wow i love going into like yeah really specific studies like that grasshopper one where they like put like three grasshoppers in like a little enclosure and like detailed for eight hours a day saw what they ate like what a ridiculous study but like that's so helpful like that's such good information but like yeah i never thought about sitting in a field for eight hours to watch grasshoppers oh my gosh i don't know if i have the attention span that's, yeah yeah well there was like four or five people at each cage you know just oh, in case. okay okay yeah oh but my gosh. Insane. <laughs> Uh, um, oh the the quote goes on and describes the probing behavior as follows Um, probing behavior in this species consisted of shallow probes and pecs directed at the surface of the hard dry substrate so again they're finding mostly insects possibly vertebrate prey and other such things Mm -hmm. to eat and uh, deliberately just kind of I almost said scraping it off the ground, which is not at all what probing is. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Right. right. Pl- plucking. There you go. Plucking it delicately with For their sure. giant, ugly beaks. <laughs> oh, I love them. <laughs> um, so that is the daily routine of the ibis, just doing that all day with a few of your buddies or your siblings or whatever. Very nice. Do they have to be active all day because they're so bad at finding food? <laughs> Well, hold on a second. Whoa. What do you mean bad at Whoa. finding food? What is What made you come to that conclusion? I mean, they're high-stepping it through the prairie, and, like, they don't probe very much. So if you're not probing very much, you're not finding a lot of food. And maybe since they are having to look through the grass, I feel like that would make it harder to find food. They Alternative f- theory. They've picked a hmm. difficult habitat, so they have to do it all day. Alternative theory. They're expending less energy. Mm-hmm by probing less and uh, making deliberate little high steps and what have you ever high stepped through a grassland it's exhausting (laughs) (laughs) it's it's that's a very good point yeah Yeah,
1: like if you've done any field work in a tall grass situation mm -hmm. it is exhausting to trudge yeah okay well you
0: have amazing legs after the summer. oh yeah 100 (laughs) percent well perhaps it's still valid to say that they're <laughs> not expending as much energy
1: <laughs> well you made it sound like they they kind of seem to aggregate towards like pretty well disturbed mm-hmm. like yeah are they so not only in burned places but also probably like also like crop fields and maybe pastures oh, as yeah. well like I, it seems like they do pretty well with stuff that's kind of not maybe not like you know super high
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know super high yeah. tall grasses but like you know stuff that's already been kind of mowed down a little bit sure
0: well and like these these savannas in south america savannas and other uh forms of grasslands aren't necessarily like you know tall grass prairie or even as tall as mixed grass although i would say mixed grass is probably pretty accurate for at least part of the range these birds are living in Mm -hmm. so um yeah i guess it depends I wonder how tall they are. How long are their legs compared to other (laughs) ibises? We're getting into some weird nitty-gritty details now, but I kind of need to know. Um, Maybe not fully relevant, Mm -hmm. but um, I mean, it's like, okay, never mind. What? We can always cut it.
1: Yeah, we can always cut it.
0: Well, okay. um, I'm trying to think of other birds Mm -hmm. that I know hang out in. Okay, well, here's the thing. Like, prairie chickens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They have to jump because they're so short. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: Nicole is losing her mind thinking about this. It's
0: so cute. (laughs) I mean, okay, anyway. uh...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, well, all right, so like. Wait, what are we trying to settle here? If I don't if they're they're, anymore. We're Trying to settle if they're bad at hunting? That's <laughs> what
0: <No. laughs> Nicole was saying. I, and it's I a think hypothesis. that's hypothesis. Pure bullshit. It's a hypothesis. I mean, it's okay, not well like what Maybe is... they just like being awake. Usually when animals are active for a long period of time, it's because they're eating that whole time. Well, why are brown thrashers singing all day? They're because they're not. Because they can. Maybe, maybe buff necked <laughs> ibises are just doing it because they can. Okay. okay. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's all there is to it. Okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. totally. Maybe. Also, there's not a lot of research in English on <laughs> the Buffnecked Ibis. There were several papers in uh, Portuguese that mm-hmm. I could not translate, um, even with Google Translate. Dang, I know. Very unfortunate. Um, For anyone un- wondering, so Buffnecked Ibises are thirty inches. In what direction? I don't know. That's Wink just band? length. I don't know if that's like head to tail or head it, to it said, it said length. It said length, yeah. So length is usually tip of beak to tip of tail. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. It's 30 inches. So that's 75 two and a half centimeters. feet. Centimeters.
0: Yes. Two and a half feet, that's good 30 inches, okay. 75 centimeters. Yeah, I mean, it's an ibis. It's not yeah. small.
1: That's like, what is that? That's what, green heron sized? Maybe no, large... bigger than a green heron. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, green, her- green
0: herons are itty bitty babies. That, no, is, no, it, what it does
1: two and a half feet look like?
0: Not hmm. that much. That's about two and a half feet.
1: That's probably two and a half feet.
0: Nobody can see this.
1: <laughs> you know what? Yeah, we're doing a disservice to the medium here. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> oh, my
0: goodness. Um, I So uh, getting back onto a track at all here, um, uh, with the ecology of these birds, I, I think a lot of what I've described so far isn't like that dissimilar from other shorebirds uh, that live in grasslands and use grasslands, except for the fact that um, they don't necessarily spend uh, every moment of their life in a grassland habitat. Um, They might be roosting in other habitats, and they might be nesting in other habitats, too. Um, So I think it is good to note here, like, some distinctions. I think we... My tendency is always to compare... (laughs) Uh, grassland Shorebirds to the Upland Sandpiper. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. One of the best birds oh, yeah. of North America. Just a uh, little... Mm-hmm. They have one of the best songs. It yes. is an actual beautiful song. Uh, it's like getting catcalled from the sky. It's yes. so good. <laughs> <laughs> the only kind of catcalling that I want. Mm-hmm. Okay. Actively. <laughs> <Yeah>. Whoa. <laughs> the, f- the first time I ever heard an Upland Sandpiper was with Tiff. We were out stargazing and we, <laughs> no, we no. just heard... we're like what
2: is happening and it took me like
0: a few months to figure out what it was because i was like that is not a bird (laughs) like i thought it was like a piece of machinery somewhere because we were like in like you know near a farmer's field like we're in the field but like we were near a farmer's field and like just heard this weird noise and i was like all right
1: (laughs) The fact that they're like, I mean, they're still—you'd still call them a grassland specialist, though.
0: Oh, absolutely, because they just, depend on it. Right, mm-hmm.
1: absolutely. Because even though, I mean, and you guys talk a lot about this on the podcast, like, just because we're, you know, we're talking about grasslands doesn't mean like the structure is exactly like, uh, like a North American prairie, right? Yeah, like, yeah. there's, yeah, they're like, yeah, they'll use trees and like, there's all sorts of other stuff, other elements that they're. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There.
0: And the trees are a part of a lot of the habitats that they're living in. And I think it's also really cool to, you know, especially as people who have picked a specific biome that we think is the best. <laughs> I think it's really good to remember how interconnected everything is and how, yeah. you know, even grassland specialists that like depend on that habitat and need that habitat will also be using other habitats during either different parts of their mm-hmm. life cycle or just in their daily routine. And that, you know, for real conservation to happen, it's important to look at the broad landscape. And, yeah. you know, if you're generally conserving only grasslands (laughs) in those stretches and letting everything get deforested, that's also not great for grassland species. Mm -hmm.
1: For sure.
0: Yeah. Um, So for the buff-necked ibis, that is certainly true. Um, Their nesting, like Alan mentioned, is colonial. And they will nest uh, in trees or on cliffs is the most common places they will go. Uh, And... What I thought was kind of fun slash weird was that it seems very rare or impossible for an ibis colony to set up somewhere where there aren't also predators setting up that do prey on them. Right. Um, There was one specific study that was looking at the association of raptors nesting with these colonies and... uh, not only found that there was a strong association but was trying to figure out why that was um and as you might suspect uh the main s- reason that chicks don't make it is just because of predators plucking them up and munching on them which you know i mean typical colony bird life
2: mm-hmm. for sure
0: you know um in argentina um is where this raptor study was conducted uh observers found so many different species nesting with or beside uh these ibis colonies they found multiple hawk species um two different species of caracaras which uh are one of like the coolest like evolutionary offshoots oh, yeah. i think i've ever like it's like a, it's a good bird a <laughs> falcon but like make it a vulture yeah. so cool um Peregrine falcons, Cenarius harrier, and buzzard eagles, all nesting with the ibis colonies. Uh, and even though most of those species fed on the ibis chicks, what they thought was interesting was that the nesting success was very similar at sites where there weren't raptors, even though those were pretty rare.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So basically, hmm. even though there were raptors there eating the babies, the babies were still being eaten when there weren't raptors, mm-hmm.
1: still wait.
0: Just by different predators. Just by or... other
1: predators, or there was just chick mortality, like they were just dying.
0: Um, I, I guess they looked at chick mortality generally. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the study did use a lot of like observation, uh, data where they were specifically like watching the depredations occur, mm-hmm. um obviously they were able to track like specific species preying on them and stuff um but yeah it's mostly predators uh regardless of whether they're raptors or not so interesting because that is something that like i've heard people complain about with like heron nests or like colony nesting and stuff like there's just like dead babies on the ground like they're not getting like taken and eaten like there's just dead babies on the ground yeah what's up with that um it depends on the species so some species have a lot of like sibling rivalries that turn deadly so that can be a factor (laughs) um if the babies aren't doing so hot like the parents might like pick one and be like all right see ya, junior um sometimes it's just really clumsy babies that are climbing around the nests like some some collie nesting birds Mm -hmm. the chicks don't move around very much um, others, they will climb around and then just fall off and get yeah. eaten by a gator or something. For sure. It, yeah. And I guess that probably happens with other species. It's just more obvious when it's a giant colony. Because <laughs> oh, it's concentrated. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. And even then, it's like plenty of people notice like naked little pink baby passerine birds yeah. falling out of their nests and stuff. Yeah. Ooh, happens. This, all. It just, just, yeah. Yeah. It just happens. Storms. Mm-hmm. Whatever. This it's last spring, of... there were so many dead babies everywhere. Oh. Oh. <laughs> It was really a, windy. Was
1: such a haunted look came over Nicole's face when she said that. What a fun out of context <laughs> quote.
0: <laughs> I was working with the public at the time, and everybody would point every single one of them out to me. And I'm yeah. like, okay, I guess I have to go pick up this dead baby bird. And it, like, it would be like three, four dead baby birds a day. Like, it was Dang. insane. It was so many. Well, like mm. storms are a huge part of that for our area, too. Yeah, so. for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: So, I mean, like, these are ibis chicks pretty precocial like when they're or are they more yeah. there so they're like they don't take a long time to get like active no, which i nah. guess might also kind of like yeah put them at risk for like an aerial predator because if yeah. they're like Whoop, boop, boop, i'm gonna go you know explore over here and then and they're gone you know so like what a great <laughs> i mean that, you it's know like a movie in my head yeah especially like it's a really fun thing with like colony nesting birds in general is that they usually have like some kind of like group defense like tactic Mm -hmm. do ibises do anything as a group nester like do they as a colony nester like if there's a predator in the area do they like are they like do they go after it or do they like what what do they do
0: what a great question do they just all the parents fly away and they're like Safety in numbers. Good luck. Hopefully they don't get my baby. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but there's like there's all
1: sorts of things. Like, do they try to lead them away from the nests? Do no. they try to do they just like go straight for the throat? Like, I mean, they're like there's a lot of birds that'll do that. Like, mm-hmm. you know.
0: I mean, they're not especially aggressive birds. I guess I I never encountered nest defenses from them. And it seemed to me that it was pretty easy for predators to just go when there weren't parents around As, yeah if they're gone all day <laughs> yeah well and i don't know that they're necessarily gone all day mm-hmm. but they're certainly not like staying on the nest all the time yeah, like some right. birds would do yeah so um yeah unattended nestlings that's such an interesting question though because i don't i don't know mm-hmm. maybe ever, they don't have a defense yeah. If I were I a predator, know. I'd just wait till mom and dad were gone. <laughs> well, that's a, it, it. Yeah, that's a way to do it. That's a way to do it. I wonder if there are other ibis defenses. What, real quick? Yeah. Let's define what the heck precocial is, um, Alan. It's all you.
1: Okay, so precocial, um, like there's a like so there's like a spectrum uh, in terms of like bird young when they're hatched. Mm-hmm. Um, do they need a lot of help from mom and dad before they're ready to leave the nest, or are they like? screw you mom and dad I'm leaving like I'm ready to go and like so altricial is what they call the birds that need a lot of help and that's what you think of like a like a naked featherless baby bird that hasn't opened its eyes yet you know that Mm -hmm. needs a lot of help from mom and dad Um, the typically birds that are born in like a more vulnerable position like most shorebirds Mm -hmm. um, are more precocial Uh, you can kind of think like precocious right like they're Mm-hmm. they act old for their age, you know, so they're like, <laughs> ready, they're like ready to go. Um, and yeah, like there's some, there's a lot of birds that like, I mean, like leave the nest within like a few hours maybe yeah. of being hatched, um, mm-hmm. which is not, you know, not usually what we think of with a baby bird, but
2: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and usually the precocial birds are cooking in the egg Way longer than the right. artificial one. So they'll yeah. spend more time in, like, an egg form. And then by the time they pop out, it's like, all right, hurry up and sprout wings. Yeah, no yes, no time to waste. Yeah. So it's a trade-off. Like, yeah. Trade-off wow um so in my brief foray i'm not easily finding anything on ibis generally defending their nests so
1: well they might not like some (laughs) there are some birds that don't really like they don't they just don't they're just kind of like well i'm gonna walk over here maybe i'll make a noise um but yeah i guess just please leave me alone
0: yeah i would i would think for a bird as big as an ibis probably they're main defense is just the size of that bird and yeah. being intimidating and not being able to be removed from the yeah. nest. And, like, I don't think that they're a bird that just, like, would run away from a predator unless it was, like, the kind of predator that could literally eat them. Like, I right. imagine the eagles could eat them. Um, but, uh, yeah, as far as defending the nests. Because,
1: yeah, I mean, I guess. Uh-huh. If this like is a
0: defense t- in numbers, you know, and size.
1: Yeah. I mean, if it's a two and a half foot long bird. Yeah. Like, I guess, like the Raptors aren't really going after the adults, right? They're no. pretty much going after just the chicks. Yeah. Yeah. So for sure. I and guess they probably don't. Yeah.
0: Most other, other defend
1: the chicks too. by sitting on them. <laughs> That's probably the way they do this. <laughs> yes. <it>.
0: yes. <laughs> um, speaking of predators, though, one of <laughs> um oh boy <laughs> um oh sorry, I should I should end. Uh, the raptor discussion by at least pointing out that um, the researchers in that study speculated that the association between raptors and ibis colonies had more to do with the fact that it's just very hard to find a place in those regions mm-hmm. where there aren't raptors nesting and less to do with like them necessarily taking advantage of the ibises. Right. Um, which makes sense, I guess, or they would just clean the ibis colony out, right? Mm. Um, but yeah, plenty of other animals prey on them. And uh, I got a huge kick out of finding our old friend, the toko toucan, in this research. <laughs> so uh, let me tell you about these murderers.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, we did a whole episode on these guys. So I just, I really love tarnishing the spotless reputations of beloved animals. Yeah. As much as I love uh, polishing the tarnished reputation <laughs> of hated animals. hmm mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, there was a really detailed account uh, from 2017, which was the first documented, uh, recorded observation of Toku toucans sneaking into Iowa's colonies and murdering unattended babies <laughs> to consume their baby flesh. Uh, uh, not
1: <laughs> sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: many dead babies. Uh, I I sent you guys like the entire figure of images, which yes, I mean. It's it's one thing to hear about it, but then to see these toucans in the act, like these beautiful, mm. glossy, tuxedoed, blue-eyed toucans, just wringing baby necks. It brings me a weird delight that I probably should think about in detail, but I won't. Um, <laughs> maybe I, that's a moment for self-reflection, <laughs> but we're not going to go there.
1: No, I mean it's it's well, especially the figure that you gave us is funny because it's like in the one picture, it's like. It's killing a chick, but then in the next picture it's like has its head thrown back with its bill open and it's just like it looks like it's just cackling with delight mm. at having tasted the blood of the innocent. Like it looks <laughs> it looks really it's a great yeah, it's a great uh, picture.
0: Thank you. yes, it's so good. Um it's it's so gnarly too. There's I'll I'll for sure have this in our show notes, but um you can see them like throwing eggs back, like, you know, fruit toss, but like, you know, Cooking babies inside the egg—that <laughs> Th- sounded different than I meant it to. Um, there's there's one of them literally wringing a baby's neck, which the researchers, um you know, took some very detailed observations. Uh, for example, the toucans would wait until the parents were gone, and uh, then like kind of sneak in through there and get in there and uh, just. Grab the babies by the neck and like shake them until <laughs> the necks broke, and <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's really brutal. But I mean, that's, it's a, that's so brutal. That's, yeah, that's that's how it goes.
0: But I think I think it's um, maybe maybe it's painting the picture too a little bit because it's so hard to imagine such a delightful animal being capable of this. But mm-hmm. not not only to see the pictures, but to like be able to visualize how a bird with such a stupid beak. <laughs> Is capable of these things, like yeah, okay, that's pretty great. Oh,
1: it makes sense. I mean, you've got a if you've got a beak like that, I mean, yeah, that thing's a weapon. Come mm. on, like I mean, pelicans will kill stuff with their beak.
0: They do. Oh
1: yeah, they'll like kill a cormorant with a just like smack it to death with their beak.
0: You're doing like a beak smacking motion, and yeah, like, I still am having a hard him. time visualizing <laughs> this act. I think I'm. A, I need to have evidence of. Please. I'm, <laughs> a, I'm <laughs> gonna Google it. You keep okay, going. All right. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> We'll put this in the show notes, too, for some reason. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so, um, you know, they are sitting ducks, sitting ibises, um, even for things like toucans in their environment. In this particular region, they were nesting in forests, and then the parents would go forage in the surrounding Cejato, uh, around the forest region where they were nesting. So I guess, you know, plenty of time to go in there and murder some babies if you are a... An enterprising toucan. <laughs> um, poor, poor buff-necked ibises. The poor kurikaka <laughs> uh, I'm going to pause for evidence of toucans, or not toucans, um, pelicans. Before I move I, on to I them gotta, being. I gotta
1: keep. I gotta keep looking. I, I don't don't hold up on my account. I'm really I'm, fascinated to see if there's actually any video of this, pelican. but
0: pelican. Murdering.
1: Ooh, the six most disturbingly evil birds. Okay, we'll come back to that. That is a
0: promising title. (laughs) (laughs) You know what's kind of funny about some of those is that, like, I'll read them and be like, wow, you guys don't even know about these other murderous birds. Like, this is some basic bird stuff.
1: I know. That's the thing. It's nice because, you know, people probably look at, like, you know, I mean, you see a toucan, it's probably like in every. Like little rainforest motif yeah. thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's like, oh, it's just like a precious, you know, like you said, spotless reputation bird. Yeah. But it's like, oh, no. you don't know. No, let's, you don't know. Let's mm-hmm. let me
0: tell you about the They they have a thirst for blood, blood of the innocence as Alan said.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. Now I'm just looking at pictures of pelicans. All right, let's all get right, back on right, track. Right. Let's get back on track. Next.
0: Um, so, uh, I, I, uh, know that they are beloved birds, culturally. Everybody loves them, including farmers, because they're eating bugs in their fields. Like, what more could you possibly ask for? I did also come across something that I thought was freaking hilarious, um, and sent me down, like, the, one of the weirdest and most specific rabbit holes I've been down, um, I was confronted. I was confronted with a paper exclusively covering how large birds fuck up overhead line structures in Brazil and cause power outages. And even though this title and abstract was very vague and was like, yeah, birds that are large, like, you know, just large birds, they do things that are bad. (laughs) Every figure, every paragraph of this article pointed a finger directly at the buff neck ibis. (laughs) (laughs) There was no mincing words in the text. It was... Uh fully no the curicaca is the problem <laughs> <laughs> so
1: the headline was birds large birds the mm. evidence said this, this bird though. this specific bird yeah <laughs> like birds but actually this one
0: uh, bird here let me yeah. read you uh, figure one from this study ibis theristicus <laughs> caudatus also known as the curicaca in brazil is the main responsible for the problem <laughs> And they had to go into excruciating detail about this bird because it is the problem. Um, so, what is the problem, you're wondering? Um, basically, it, it's causing power outages through what is called flashover events, which is like basically like a lightning bolt sort of situation happening on the tower that's not supposed to happen. And... I don't know, power company stuff, but uh, it, it knocks out the power. So I could not figure out what the birds were doing in order to cause this problem. Um, these two people have already been through this with me, so I'm just going to talk to you, the audience. These, these two don't exist for me right now. It's just you and me, listener. Um, they said that the problem was bird streamers. What is a bird streamer? What is it? My first thought was, it's poop. It's obviously poop. But then several figures of the study were like, we had detailed analyses done of the poop, and the poop is not the problem. It is not causing this. It's not even degrading because of the climate of where we live. It's not causing degradation in our insulators. It's, it's not the issue. And so I was like, okay, well, then what is a bird streamer? And it never, <laughs> this paper never defined what a bird streamer was. And I was so confused. What is... What is the problem? Um, so okay, I'm gonna let you guys speak. I'm so sorry for shutting you off there. Um, <laughs> help, help, help us. Like, what were your thought processes? Because, like, one of my thoughts was like, I don't know, maybe they're dropping feathers or something, and that's causing a problem. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I thought, yeah, I, th- I thought like. Well, okay, so I went to, like, my brain went to poop first, but I couldn't figure yeah, out yeah, how right. that would do anything. Right. I, and then I was like, well, okay, maybe it had, because they're, like, you know, they hang out in grasslands, and maybe they're very kind of dusty, and maybe they're just bringing a lot of dust with them, <laughs> them and that's creating a lot of, like, you mm-hmm. know, that's conductive, maybe that's creating, like, a charge, because they're just shaking up all this dust. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I was very wrong. Yeah. I, I also... was so wrong. <laughs> I mean,
0: Yeah. I also definitely went poop first. And I was like, maybe they're like being dumb and like trying to sun themselves and like accidentally touch like two different wires and like <laughs> Like, yeah, right. and like arc over Zap, and like, yeah. you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That is such, but but I, I had a similar thought at some point, mm-hmm. but then I noticed like specifically that they were trying to piece together like forensically what was happening mm-hmm. and whether the bird streamers, quote unquote, were in fact the problem. And they never mentioned finding bird corpses. Yeah. They never mentioned, <laughs> like they would see poop on some insulators, but again, they sent that to the lab and like determined it wasn't the cause of the problem and stuff. Um, yeah, so let me, let me settle it once and for all. A bird streamer is apparently a well-known phenomenon for power <laughs> company people. Um, <laughs> here's the thing about birds. <laughs> they fly. Yes. What is everything about a bird designed to do? Be lightweight for flight. So naturally, when a bird is about to take flight, they forcefully eject the contents of their bowels. mm Hmm. now i know what you're thinking i thought poop was off the table i did too i was this is why it was such a confusing issue for me but bird streamers are a very specific poop phenomenon
2: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> so uh they release up to 60 60- Cubic centimeters of excrement mixed with conductive urine at one time, and it comes out, and I quote, at quite a pressure.
1: (laughs) Quite a pressure. (laughs) This creates a
0: conductive path (laughs) that bridges the air gap between different tower structures and basically causes this poop, which, may I point out, can attain lengths of up to two meters and move of speed at speeds of two to five meters per second
1: um two to five meters that that's uh that's fast
0: that is a forceful Mm -hmm. ejection of a lot of poop and urine
1: yes and if you're trying to like Diagram this in your head. Like sixty centimeters is about the size, like the length of the bird's body.
0: C- cubic centimeters. Though. Cubic centimeters. So,
1: oh, so what? Oh, so but well, that's volume. That's volume. I thought you were saying yeah. like a length. Like that was oh, the length of the. So stream. that's like the
0: volume of it. The oh, length okay. is up to two meters long.
1: Mm. Oh, that's so much. That's so huge. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay.
0: So, like, this is a general <laughs> phenomenon made worse by large birds like the curicaca, which is so prevalent, especially in the Cejado of Brazil. Um, power lines are such a good ro- roosting structure for these birds um, that when they take off and forcefully eject all this excrement right over a vulnerable part of the tower, <laughs> basically it just ignites the poop it's fascinating it causes a flashover event after discharge uh the bird excrement literally explodes and flies (laughs) apart at high speed in the form of powder such that nothing visible remains
2: whoa (laughs) which is why
0: there's no evidence left of this crime yeah it's amazing (laughs) so again to reiterate them just pooping on the tower structure doesn't do anything but when their poop is forcefully ejected out of their body and is instantly vaporized by a lightning bolt, <laughs> it will take out the power of significant portions of the surrounding area. And uh, many, many people working for these power companies uh, shake their fists at the curry kaka in the sky. Amazing.
1: But even still, <laughs> you say it's a beloved bird.
0: Oh, yeah. Remember the asterisks from earlier? Right, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this is the only negative. And it's not even like, that's not specifically a them problem. It's technically Uh, a general large bird problem. It's just that in this particular region. It's a them problem. It's a them problem, yeah. They they are the problem. (laughs) Uh-huh. But the good news okay. is, you know, you know, people like these birds. People also like having powers. So. Yeah,
1: it's a beautiful bird. It just occasionally shits so hard it knocks, <laughs> knocks your power out.
0: <laughs> okay. it's, a, it's a big bird. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's pretty easy to mitigate once you figure out that that is indeed the cause of the flashover. You analyze the crime scene and realize there's nothing else that could have happened here except these That's birds. Weird. Um, and so then you just you know put like nice little cones over the very vulnerable parts of the tower that cannot stand to have mm-hmm. two meter long strings of excrement next to them, um, creating <laughs> nice conductive paths for lightning to yes. strike basically. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's easy to 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 handle once you diagnose the issue. Yeah, yeah. And once again, I just I just want to point out that somebody's job was to do a thorough laboratory mm. analysis on the feces of these birds oh, obviously. a uh, an insulator. And I think that that's hilarious. You got
1: volume, you got length, you got speed. You got, the, <laughs> you got all the variables accounted for there. That's mm-hmm. amazing.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Uh, we even have a beautiful figure, uh, which I will link to in our show notes, um, where they have simulated bird excrement creating a streamer where you can indeed see the uh, incendiary event <laughs> occur. Uh, it, so, yeah so good so good (laughs) these birds just look so dumb i love them so much Mm -hmm. i'm just looking at them sitting on a power line like they're all looking at the at the spikes like man i wish i could sit there (laughs) 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 oh problematic and yet so beloved um okay so uh finally we are at the last little piece of the puzzle here for these birds at least the piece of the stuff that i picked out to tell you guys about Um, Which is normally a very scary topic for me because it has to do with like the conservation of the species, which can be such a horrible note to end on because everything kind of sucks a lot of the time for conservation. Um, But not for the buff-necked ibis. Yay. They are considered of least concern. (laughs) And in in fact, uh, a lot of that has to do with the happy circumstance for them, at least, that ecologically... A lot of the destructive uh, ecological practices that are happening in the South American countries where they live Mm -hmm. are actually creating more habitat types that they like to use. So that's just you know a a help me words. It's a side effect. No
1: unintended benefit. Benefit. Benefit.
0: Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, mm
1: -hmm. Well, I don't. I mean, it's a yeah. What's what? What are you trying to say?
0: what am I trying? To I th- know, I know what you're trying to say, but I can't think of it either. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is not. Well, let me give you some more information. Maybe that'll help us. Um, so, uh, there are a couple of subspecies of this bird. I'm not really personally interested in subspecies as much, unless, yeah. I mean, it's just like interesting notes about like the evolutionary lineage of certain populations that are sub. Uh, separated by mm-hmm. geographic barriers or something um, but neither of them are you know in any danger. it's generally common throughout its range. Um, uh, there are specific regions though uh, where there is some really significant deforestation events happening and destruction of habitats. Um, in the Chaco region of Paraguay, uh, which is being rapidly deforested right now, um, it is actually really common, in fact, the most common, in those areas where the forest has been cleared for development of cattle ranching. So I think that's a good illustration of why this species is doing well right now. Um, A lot of the... Development of land that's occurring in countries like uh, Brazil and uh, uh, I guess Paraguay uh, has to do with, you know, creating agricultural areas. Mm -hmm. So whether it's uh, clearing cejado for soybean farms or uh, deforesting certain areas in order to ranch cattle, uh, those changes to the habitats are just happening to benefit this animal that is able to succeed in those places. Um, And I think that's because, number one, they are nesting in places that are not going to be super developed. I, I think people have a tendency to leave at least, you know, pieces. Yeah, like pieces of of trees around or at least yeah. you know enough of a tree for them to have like a nesting site or something. Mm-hmm. People aren't bulldozing cliffs or something if that's where their colony yeah. nest is occurring. Really? Um and their real dependency on the grassland is for forage mm-hmm. and for finding food and mm-hmm. their preferences for, you know, where they're spending their their daily uh routines. And so whether you are clearing Whether you're clearing savanna to create soybean fields or clearing forest to create cattle, you are creating an environment where they can move in and find insects to feed on. uh, Even if it's purely, uh, you know, soybean fields, which is not providing a. any other ecological benefit to species, they can still forage in that area. Mm -hmm. Um, In the case of deforestation for cattle ranching, it's literally creating their ideal habitat, and the cattle are also increasing the number of insects available. Mm -hmm. So that is a direct benefit to this bird. Um, And I think that's, I don't know, another, again, interesting example of how interconnected things are and how, I guess... You know, tugging on one thread somewhere is, by happenstance, going to affect something somewhere in a positive way, just mm-hmm. by, you know, pure probability, I guess. Um, and I'm not saying that it's a great thing that it's being deforested, um, but I sure. will say that if you're somebody who loves this bird, then, you know, it's fortunate that this bird isn't currently being negatively impacted by what's occurring in its habitat range. Um, And, in fact, is seen as a benefit because if it is prowling soybean fields looking for insects, they are so welcomed to do that because it is providing an ecological and economic benefit there Mm -hmm. uh, for the people that are using that land in that way.
1: Right. Their utility is, yeah, enough that they wouldn't be, like, seen as a nuisance.
0: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And, and again, I think that, that this bird in particular has kind of, like, a warm cultural place for a lot of people that share the land with these birds they're so charismatic they're so noticeable whether it's because of their large stature (laughs) and their very obvious buffy head or just their screaming (laughs) um you know they're making themselves known and they're just like kind of a part of the backdrop of what makes that place home for a lot of people and it's also doing things that are only benefiting people and it's not really getting in the way unless you work for power companies, but (laughs) you know, that's avoidable. Um, so, you know, it's, it's looking good right now for this bird. And I think that that's really cool. And I don't say that in a way to take away from the negative ecological impacts that are happening for other species. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess it is refreshing for me sometimes to find species that aren't just, you know, wilting under our thumb, (laughs) if that makes sense.
1: Well, I I mean, I think, yeah, you're right. Like, sometimes there is just that, you know, interesting silver lining to it. Yeah. Um, You know, and it's like it seems to happen a lot for grassland specialists because I mean, there's some, you know, there are some grassland specialists that, you know, once grasslands are, you know,
0: uh, eliminated,
1: eliminated. I was going to say desecrated, (laughs) but I'm like, that sounds so, that sounds so, uh, but yeah, once, (laughs) once they're, once, uh, once the grasslands deteriorate, like they're Mm -hmm. in serious trouble, but there are others who like seem to thrive on that aspect of like the constant disturbance that grasslands exist in. And this definitely seems to be one of those birds. Like, they like the burned fields, they like the short fields, they like the crop fields. They mm-hmm. seem to, they roost in a group, so they really as long as there's just a couple trees standing, I bet they're probably fine. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like if there's like a tree line or a you know, a wind belt or something like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, I mean it's just like, hey, this is great for them. Yeah. know. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah. I mean, yeah, I feel like you've talked about a few species like that. Yeah, where it's just like, hey, cool, the grasslands are being destroyed, but Mm-hmm. this is better but They're making it this, yeah. <laughs> yeah but this yeah. is fine yeah um yeah so that's you're right that's um a not totally depressing conservation <laughs> takeaway
0: yes indeed
1: some species will be fine they'll keep doing their thing
0: yeah uh the resiliency of life etc etc yeah life um... uh finds a way <laughs> Dang it. i wanted to say that <laughs> indeed <laughs> Uh uh very good. Well that's that's a great note to end on, I think. Yeah. Any final thoughts on the kurikaka that we didn't vomit out already?
1: You forgot to tell your Kurikaka story.
0: Yeah, you did. I was oh. gonna mention that. Um on a personal note, the kurikaka for me <laughs> was honestly one of those I had an opportunity to, like, actually see them Um, in Brazil. My uh, sister-in-law, her family farm uh, is in Brazil, in the Cejado, and one of (laughs) her family members is a super bird nerd and so naturally um he was my new best friend and uh the language barrier was a little rough um because he only knew the brazilian names for the birds and so we'd try to like look up the scientific names to figure out what was going (laughs) on um but i have a really distinct memory of being out on the farm with them one night and i'm just like out looking at birds because what else are you gonna do and of course andre was out looking at birds too and he was like hey i bet if you if you stay right here the kurikakas are going to come back and i was like oh i'm sorry the what <laughs> It's like the kari And he's like i have no idea what they're called in english but you just wait right here and then you'll hear them they'll go kari and then you gotta wait and you'll you'll see them and i was like okay and so he leaves me there and i sit there and the sky is getting dark and uh before long uh some little heads start popping up out of the grass and then a bird flies over and head and it is a freaking ibis and i was like oh my god i know what that is <laughs> 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 and i was so shocked to see an ibis in like what basically felt like a slightly more hilly version of kansas with mm-hmm. different looking trees <laughs> on a cattle ranch and uh he was like oh there they are that's the great caucus. and it was like this was a really cool experience like all of, like, they did exactly what he said, and I was honestly kind of stunned that it happened exactly the way he said and that they were that predictable. Mm-hmm. But, like, right when he said they would, these birds start flying in, and they are huge, and they are ugly, and they are <laughs> screaming, <laughs> and it is such a glorious experience. And uh, as the sun went down, I sat there until all the curicacas were in the tree and had started to go quiet. And then I was like, well... Good night, I guess. I'll see you later. (laughs) And it was such a cool experience seeing these birds. And I think for me, um, like having experiences like that and being with people who are like just so into the same kind of landscape that I'm into, mm-hmm. even though we like barely speak the same language and like are from completely different continents. Uh, it's so, it's so cool. And it was like really uh, touching for me in a way that was really surprising. And so I think that the curry Kaka for me, it, it was, it was like a really big turning point for me uh, in like, I don't know, just like realizing like, There's cool stuff everywhere, and (laughs) for some people, it's not that interesting to hang out on a cattle farm, but for some people, it is everything to hang out on a cattle farm, you know, to to be on a ranch, to be on a landscape, and to be, like, living an experience with the other animals that live there, not because you put them there, but because it's their home, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's, like, such a powerful experience, and it's so universal, and, uh, I really like Kacas.
1: <laughs> That's really nice. I mean, I just, yeah, I love that it's like, it's a really distinctive part of, like, because it's like, you know, like you're saying, like you're, you know, he's like, hey, this is about to happen because it happens every day because yeah. it's like, this is like a piece, it's like a part of being here, you know?
2: Mm. Yeah.
1: It's like, you know, it's like if you were here, you'd hear dick sizzles and stuff and then you'd like, yeah. it'd be weird if you didn't,
0: yeah. you know? And, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's nice. It's one of those things.
0: Yeah. Or, like, you'd want to, like, if you wanted somebody to, like, really experience the prairie, you'd take them out early in the morning to, like, a prairie chicken leg or something and, like, listen for those, like, booming notes or, you know, like, there's, there's stuff like that happening everywhere and in some of the commonest most overlooked and most derided places (laughs) and it's kind of cool that there are so many people out there who see how beautiful that is and will even write poems about it Mm. even though they're being woken up by it every morning (laughs) yeah yeah i don't know
1: that's so nice
0: (laughs) thank you rachel that was beautiful it was beautiful you're welcome (laughs) um just for the sake of balance um murderous toucans Mm okay just gonna
1: Two <laughs> <laughs> cans exposed. All right, go ahead. Sorry.
0: <laughs> uh, and thank you for listening. The Best Biome is produced through our nonprofit Grass Grassland Groupies, dedicated to inspiring the conservation of grasslands. In the show notes, you can find our website, phone number, and social media accounts. Text, call, or tweet your suggestions, fan mail, or hate mail. If you enjoyed the show and want to support us, tell your friends and leave us a review on Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, or even Spotify. Spotify! <laughs> whatever, you know, program or app or whatever they're using to listen to us... Take a minute and see if you can give us a review. It really helps us out a lot. We couldn't do this without your support. See you again in two weeks.
1: I once saw 300 seagulls with a single bald eagle, and it was amazing.
2: <laughs> that
1: was my favorite nature thing. God. No, it was like a juvenile bald eagle, and I think I think it made like a horrible mistake. It was <laughs> like, ooh, this looks like a good place to, you know, buzz over, mm-hmm. and then. Like 300 blockets goals were like, no.
0: <laughs> Some lessons have to be learned the hard way. that <laughs> <Yes, yeah. laughs> like, eagle was you, like, never the, again. You, you,
1: you messed up, buddy. <laughs> yeah, Please get that. It make It has nothing to do with the episode. I just wanted to say it.